and welcome back to the day to day where we will soon get into the weekend's Premier League action. But it would be remiss of us not to mention the big game of the day in Australia, where Spain became the fifth nation to win the FIFA Women's World Cup, having come into this tournament, having previously only ever won one match in their tournament history. This win was also the first time that Serena Vigman tasted defeat in a competitive fixture as the Lionesses boss. And you do have to spare a thought for her, having become the first coach to finish as a runner-up in two Women's World Cup tournaments, having been the Netherlands boss back in 2019 when they suffered defeat against the United States. Spain, though, the victors, just 20 days after losing 4-0 to Japan in the group stages. That could have easily have been one of our main talking points of this episode, but instead there's something else that has caught our eye, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by two men who have been used to seeing their side suffer 1-0 defeats this weekend. Matt Furness and David Seeger joining us to help us through the rest. Let's turn to the one, though, who saw his side suffer defeat at the hands of Stoke rather than Gillingham. Matt, what's been catching your eye this weekend? Definitely not Watford. Um, <laughs> it's good I, to be in this position for once as a Red- I didn't yeah. think there was going to be many times this season as a Reading fan I'm delighted to be able to pass on the uh, the abuse <laughs> so the subject or the main talking point in today's podcast we're going to look at is yellow cards in the Premier League this season so we have obviously seen an increase on the number of yellow cards mainly around time wasting descent etc with the new are there new laws or is it just guidance for referees uh, mandates, around mandates? Yeah, mandates. So obviously early on in the season, you see referees very hot on these kind of things, picking up so much so that on the opening day, we were discussing this in the office last week, a Sheffield United player got booked after 20 odd minutes for uh, apparently kicking the ball away when it was, it looked like the harshest yellow card I've ever seen. Uh, it wasn't even a separate action. He was just running through thinking he was near goal. It was kind of like, that Van Persie one at the new camp that time where he instinctively shot and within a half a second of the referee blowing a whistle and uh, got a yellow card for it. Um, but yeah, we, we've seen a massive, massive uptick in terms of cards given in games this season, um, which I'm sure will have a big am- impact later on in the season when suspensions come around. I think it's what every, the fifth yellow card, 10th yellow card, etc. cetera. Um, so I, I can imagine quite a few players will be spending some time out suspended this season. Um, what we have seen so far, so looking at yellow cards in Premier League history over seasons, we've seen an average of 4.8 a game so far in the Premier League this season. Um, total cards, including red cards, 5.1 per game. Both of those are a card more than we've ever seen in a Premier League season per game. Um, obviously, huge, massive sounding klaxon going off of small sample size here. Um, but it's interesting nonetheless because of the the new rules coming in. So if we were to see that trend extrapolate over a season, then we should be seeing a lot of yellow cards this season. Um, so yeah, 4.8 yellows this season. Last season, we saw 3.6 yellow cards per game. Um, and looking back at the early Premier League seasons, when you had notorious British hard men playing in the league, um, I mean, the first Premier League season, we saw 1.7 yellow cards per game. That is... Less, fewer than three per game, fewer than, uh, sorry, yeah, fewer, 3.1 per game, fewer than now, I should say. Um, And then the season after was 1.4 as well. So yeah, people like David Ellery, Keith Hackett didn't want to get the cards out of their pocket uh, in those seasons. Interestingly, we talked about time wasting the descent being the main reasons for this. 
So, so far this season, we've seen 18 yellow cards for descent, 12 for time wasting. Um, so that means that on average, we're getting a, a card per game for descent in the Premier League and a card for one and a half games for time wasting. Only last season, the average was 4.1 games per card for descent and 4.4 for time wasting. So you could potentially be seeing four times as many cards this season uh, for descent than what we saw last season. So um, I don't think it's a, a bad thing in, in some ways. Players have got to learn to keep their mouth shut. But I do think sometimes that refs are just maybe a little bit... There needs to be a middle ground, isn't there? There's, it's kind of just getting a bit too ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think there was a lot coming into this season about how they, everyone was expecting this uptick. And as ever, as we've always seen with any mandate or law that gets brought in... The first couple of weeks, they may be very strong on it and very hot on it. As the season wears on, you might see this change. So you're very right to, to raise that Claxon sign. Um, David, what do you think? Has it been noticeable to you this season, that uptick? Is it uh, like that full card again difference that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult, obviously, to, to judge it across multiple games when you're only, say, watching a few at a time. But I think inevitably you, you get this in, in Premier League seasons, especially where new directives are brought in and you almost always see the first few weeks. It's just it, they really go after it um, to, to make sure everyone's aware of, of what, what the new rules are, what the new um, approach is going to be. So I think, as Matt said, you know, the, the idea, I think, is going to be that this will go down over time, but not necessarily because the referees are being less harsh with it. It's just the players will start to learn, okay, now if I do what I always used to do, which is turn around and uh, talk back to the referee for a, what was definitely a foul uh, and completely the, the correct decision given against me, then I'll be booked for it rather than him just dismissing it. So, yeah, I think I think you'll probably see it for another two, three weeks or so, probably up until the first international break. And then after that, either the players will start behaving or the referees will always get <laughs> sick of handing out so many cards. But um <laughs> it, it, who knows? Maybe if it is here to stay, uh, as Matt said, we'll, we'll start seeing players get uh, suspensions for having picked up twenty yellow cards in a season. Maybe, maybe the uh, referees or the PGMOL, whatever it's called, I can't remember now. Is it PGMOL? P- PGMOL. PGMOL. Yeah. That's the one. Maybe they just were watching La Liga too much last season because last season <laughs> in late La Liga we saw one hundred thirty-seven red cards, uh, eighty-eight of those straight reds. When you compare it to the Premier League. The last season in the Premier League, there were 30 red cards. So, the, I mean, what, 107 more red cards in La Liga? Maybe they thought, we fancy a piece of that. Let's, let's, yeah, let's get like that. Maybe I was being generous when, when I said uh, players are going to learn because Spanish players didn't seem to. <laughs> Spanish FA were just like, we, lads, we are rolling in it. We're getting so much money from suspensions. The Premier League were like, I fancy a, yeah, I fancy a piece of this pie. <laughs> let's try it. And, uh, I was yeah. just imagining like your local Saturday and Sunday league bringing in these rules and all of a sudden the league competition dinner just gets completely much oh. bigger because the, the budget that they can have for the food next year because of the reds and yellows through the roof. Why is the referee Which... wearing a fur coat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many referees do you see with gold teeth? <laughs> Making it sound like some kind of Home Alone villain. <laughs> Joe Pesci is refereeing uh, Everton v Wolves next week. You wouldn't talk about to him, to be fair. <laughs> Maybe that's what they need to do, just bring in notorious Hardman villains as referee. Michael Oliver's a bit of a, too much of a rollover, really, as he can push him over. Get Ray Winston out in the middle of the pitch. 
different story, um, especially yeah. for certain players as well. Um, I, I would imagine the level of descent would be, have to be quite high, quite high for Ray Winston to give you a, a caution compared to some of them. <laughs> be like the old days. Be like 1992, yeah. 1993, Martin Bodenham and all those guys coming back. Imagine Billy uh, Jones playing now. He would be <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm probably I'm still young enough to classify the early Premier League years as I don't remember them. So Vinnie Jones is the only one I can really think of in terms of Premier League hard men. Would you consider Gideon John Dix. Walk a Premier League hard man? He feels Gideon like Dix. a hard man because he had a moustache. Yeah, he feels like he was. I, I don't know what his disciplinary record was, but he, he certainly looked like he was. Scottish <laughs> and had a moustache. Must be hard. <laughs> Didn't Brian Kilcline also play in like Killico the very Klein. early? Yeah, yeah Killico Kilcline. Klein. Yeah. See, he knew as a good player had Killer as his nickname. Like, you don't get that in the modern era. Uh, that's the problems. Thanks for that talking point, Matt. Really great stuff there. Let us know what you've seen so far in terms of yellow cards this season in the Premier League by letting us know on email at editors at theanalyst.com or, of course, by dropping us a note on social media. We are at Opta Analyst across the board. Right then, time to get into the weekend's action after this break with the good, the bad and the quirky here on The Day to Day. Welcome back to the day-to-day. Right, let's get into the weekend's action now in the way that we do with the good, the bad and the quirky. We'll start off with the good. David, what caught your eye as being good for someone or a team this weekend in the Premier League? The good, as far as I'm concerned, was uh, Mr. Mohamed Salah, who uh, scored eventually scored uh, for Liverpool against Bournemouth yesterday in their 3-1 win. Um, had a penalty, of course, with the, the game at one all, uh, which was saved initially by Neto, but then he put in the rebound um, to put to bed. Uh, some, some might say a frustrating start to the season. It was one game against Chelsea. Obviously, he had the goal disallowed. And then when he was subbed off, people thought it was weird that he was throwing a strop as he came off, even though I'm pretty sure he's done it about 20 times since he came to Liverpool. Pretty much every time he subbed, he throws a strop. So I'm not entirely sure why people thought it was weird. But uh, I think it was because he didn't didn't score, didn't keep up his record of scoring on every opening day since moving to Liverpool. Uh, but he made up for it sort of by scoring um, against Bournemouth. And uh, that also brought up his 200th goal involvement in the Premier League, um, which puts him, I believe, 12th in the all-time list for goal involvements. But um, yes, so he's now got uh, 140 goals and 60 assists, which I think people might be quite surprised by because obviously generally when you hear people talk about Mo Salah, they say, oh, he's lethal in front of goal. He's just a born goal scorer, which he is. But people don't talk about his assists very often. And so, yeah, it was interesting to, to look at that and see that he's actually got quite a lot of them. And uh, so, yeah, Mo Salah this week, um, even though, I say, there's a lot of talk among Liverpool fans that uh, maybe he should be taken off penalties because he keeps missing them. But uh, yesterday it didn't uh, It didn't matter. It was obviously put in the rebound. I think well, it's three about- of his last five, isn't it, in all competitions yeah, yeah. he's missed? Hey, to be fair, he was re- I'm not not exactly sure what the record was, but before that, before that, the he only missed three. Before he had, that, yeah, he had a really yeah. good record up until then, but he, it's yeah, goalkeepers have figured him out. I don't know, or maybe he's just been unlucky. Mm. Well, that well, 200 not- goal involvement is the most of any current Premier League player, so he's got Harry Kane to thank for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. On. But yeah, I mean, he's, um, he's, I believe he's also he's just behind Robbie Fowler on two hundred and two, um, and then then he's got Steven Gerrard to catch. So he's he's got Liverpool legends to uh, to get ahead of next. But he's got quite a way to uh, to reach Alan Shearer, who I believe tops the rankings on three hundred and twenty four. Yeah. So yeah, quite a way to go. 
Isn't a converting a missed penalty just the ultimate assist, though? I mean, that's, that's I, that, I was curious about that. Does he get an assist for his own goal there? But apparently not. Um, but yeah, no, not even he, in fantasy, uh, don't. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, but he, I, I was looking into the numbers actually around his assist because it feels like the last couple of years in particular he's he stepped it up in terms of his creativity, and I believe it's since the start of the twenty one twenty two season he's got twenty six assists, which is more than anyone in the league. I think Kevin De Bruyne's got twenty four, um, and he's also got ten more goal involvements than Harry Kane in that time. Albeit obviously the last two match days Kane hasn't been around, but uh, yeah, so he seems to be mixing it up. So it could be that uh, Mo Salah that we get for, from here on in. Defenders don't know what to do with him because they always thought he was going to shoot, but now he might pass and uh, it might still be just as successful. So it'll be interesting to see how much further he can go. It will still, yeah. still keep throwing strops when he gets brought off and <laughs> we get used to it. It will be interesting to see how high he can get in that ranking. Obviously, you've got Shearer on 324, as you say. Rooney's just behind on 311. Then after that, you've got Lampard, Giggs and Cole. And they are... Oh, sorry. And Harry Kane as well. They are the only players. So what there's six of them that are over 250 goal involvements. You feel that Salah can probably squeeze out 50 more goal involvements in Premier League, in his Premier League career. You would think Whether so. Or not, that's all at Liverpool, we don't know. But uh, yeah, yeah. Could, it, it, could we'll, we'll see how long, how long he stays. There's, there's, there's uh, inevitable talk all the time now that the Saudi League are uh, buying hit everyone left, right and centre that Salah is going to be their golden goose. But um, so far, he's, he's turned it down. Let's see what happens uh, next summer. But for the time being, we'll just enjoy him. Yeah, we need to make the most of him just in case he does disappear out of here. But Matt, you've also got someone or something else that caught your eye as being good in the Premier League this weekend. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Tottenham and uh, how they've really improved under Ange Postacoglu so far and how he's been able to implement his playing style quite quickly on that Spurs team. I thought they were excellent again against uh, Manchester United yesterday. Uh, They did get a bit lucky in the first half, a couple of missed chances by Man United that you'd expect they'd score on another day. But they took the game to United in the second half and and were excellent, again, like they were against Brentford, uh, especially in the second half. Um, Part of that success has been that he's getting Spurs playing in the opposition half a lot more. I mean, they've completed nearly double the number of passes on average in the opposition half they did last season in the Premier League. and they're doing it with a younger team. So last season, they had the third oldest starting eleven uh, on average in the Premier League at 27 years, 356 days. Across the opening two games, that is the third youngest now in the Premier League. Um, over, well, nearly three years younger, 25 years, 34 days. Um, and they just have so much more pace. They have so much more... They're just so much more exciting to watch going forward. Madison's really helped with that. Such a tidy player. Um, I thought Saar was excellent yesterday and deserved his goal. Um, And without Harry Kane as well, who letting go of him, most people, obviously we all know how good Harry Kane is and how he elevated Spurs to a level personally that he couldn't have, um, they couldn't probably achieve without him. But now it feels like they're a much stronger team unit because... They don't rely on him so much. Um, and what's going to be really interesting now is that they really, you next next three games, you would say in Premier League terms, are quite simple on paper. So Bournemouth away, Burnley away and Sheffield United at home. I know they started quite well last season and people got carried away, etc. But they could easily be right at the top of the table. And then they play Arsenal away the next game, which is the first massive test 
after the United game yesterday, obviously. Um, that's on the 24th of September. And then they follow that up with Liverpool at home six days yet later. So we're not going to really know how good this this uh, Spurs side are. I know they've just beaten United, but that, this is a United team that look out of sorts at the moment. Um, they haven't got that striker in the side. You can tell as well the way they're playing. The new signings haven't really established themselves. Mason Mount had a really quiet game again yesterday, so much so that I genuinely didn't know he was on the pitch until he came off. Um, and Spurs have the advantage of no European football again. Or I could say again, <laughs> they have no European football this season. So they should come into games fresher than some of the other opposition. And that, that game against Arsenal will come a few days after their UEFA Champions League match day one game. We don't know where that is yet. That could be a way in a difficult place, a bit of uh, traveling time there as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how Spurs do ahead of that game and how much confidence they take into that Arsenal game. Um, with with a lot more youngsters on that side as well. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching Spurs and it's the first time I've said that. For a long time, um, and yeah, I think they could they could do really well this season under Postecoglou. Yeah, it was a great line from Roy Keane in one of his finest bits of post-match uh, punditry when he turned around and said, uh, "Manchester United are the new Spurs," and I think that really does just sort of rejuvenate how Postecoglou's come in at Spurs. You can see he's been able to implement. He's got a very clear vision. Yeah, it could be very exciting times in North London. He said to Sky afterwards when he was interviewed that, like he said, when he took that job, like he, this is the way he plays. And if they don't want that way, don't employ me because I'm not changing. I will stick to this way. And and it's exactly how the style of football you saw from Celtic uh, last season, more, more so in the Champions League, UEFA, um, Europa League, etc. because we all know the Scottish Premiership the general quality of that is much lower than the Premier League, but he was doing it against top-class sides in those European competitions last season as well. And now he, I think, is forty-nine games unbeaten in home league uh, matches. That's across his spells in Japan and Scotland. So um, yeah, he seems to build good home sides. Well, let's talk about maybe sides who aren't so good at home. Maybe we've got to talk about bad sides now, David. You, you picked Liverpool for your good this week. I don't think we're going to have to travel too far for who might be the bat. Has he picked yeah. Ramit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, they got they lost four three at uh, Andy Salford. That was a dreadful result. Um, but the uh, no, the ones I, I am selecting for the bad this week. I'm very very sorry to my cousins who are supporters and season ticket holders, but uh, it's Everton Football Club. I'm afraid. Um, this, yeah, obviously last week didn't get off to a, to a great start with the defeat against Fulham, but I think there was some potential hope there because it was a decent performance. They, they probably were the better, well, they were definitely mm-hmm. the better team that day and they were quite unlucky to, to not win that game, let alone lose it. But then away to Aston Villa this weekend, um, it just was awful. It was so bad. They were I mean, dire, you know, weren't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was v- Villa. I think it was inevitable that Villa were gonna were gonna bite back after obviously their chastening um, defeat at Newcastle uh, last week. And I think you definitely saw that from Villa. They they played really well, but Everton just had nothing to stop them. Um, every time Villa came forward, you thought it's going to take a fortunate deflection or just a bad shot for Villa not to score it because Everton aren't actually going to stop them by their own means. Um, the nature of I think the opening goal, how easily John McGinn got in at the near post um, to score with, uh, unmarked. The penalty was, I say unlucky, it was a penalty, but Pickford um, coming out of his goal and obviously fouling Watkins. 
uh, quite sloppily. Um, and then the two, the two goals in the second half, the third and the fourth, were, were really bad. Uh, obviously, the throw-in that Michael Keane just sticks a foot out and nudges it straight to uh, Leon Bailey to run through and score one of the simplest goals he'll ever score. And then Ashley Young performing the same throw-in uh, routine, but for the wrong team. It was weird. Uh, he threw it straight to John Duran. Uh, Keane got caught out of position. Duran uh, put it in to a, interest, a yeah, very good stats or after the game that was Duran scored 50 seconds after coming onto the pitch, which was the fastest the substitute had scored for Aston Villa since John Carew, uh, who did so after 46 seconds. And that was uh, against Everton, funnily enough, in October 2009. Um, so yeah, it seems to be a theme. Once every 14 years, Everton will concede a silly goal, um, very quickly to an a substitute. But uh, yeah, a very, a very poor day at the office for Everton. They've uh, it was the first first time they've lost both their first two matches of a league season while also not scoring um, for just the third time and the first time since the mid 50s. Um, they're and also they're, they're, they're bottom of the league uh, on by the end of the day on Sunday, which is actually, in spite of how dreadful they've been the last two seasons, it's the first time since uh, October 1st, 2010, that they've ended the day uh, bottom of the league, apparently. Um, the the thing for, I think, for Sean Dyche now is going to be how quickly he can look like he turns this around, because I know a few Everton fans, as I've mentioned, and they're already getting a little uneasy with Sean Dyche sort of pointing out that he came in supposedly to make the team stable. Obviously, he ultimately kept them up last season, but they've. I think um, I checked earlier that, that since he came in, um, only Leeds, Southampton, and Nottingham Forest have conceded more goals in Premier League games than Everton. Um, and of course, the, the the fact that they've got a couple of big games coming up: um, the, the Wolves next week, uh, which we've already joked was a a potential six-pointer uh, on match day three. And then after that, they've got Sheffield United, which again, you know, you would think with all due respect to Sheffield United could well be one uh, around that end. But possibly even more worryingly, for as far as Sean Dyche is concerned, is after that, obviously you've got the international break, which is a yeah. time when clubs often tend to change managers. And the first game back after that is at home to Arsenal. And it feels to me like almost every single season, Everton's game at home to Arsenal has a new manager in yeah. charge. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to say the writing's on the wall for Sean Dyche, but the, fi- the random fixture computer might have done him up a kipper. Coming full circle, <laughs> that. Yeah, the thing with Everton as well, they just don't get any luck. Like the Calvert-Lewin, pre- I, he looked yeah. like he broke his face, uh, thanks to uh, Martinez. <laughs> and then Iwobi looked like he pulled his hamstring. Who <laughs> Like the two possibly most threatening players, Dwight McNeil, obviously was missing again today. They were just so toothless. And... They just look so soft. Villa could have had a lot more if if they went mm. for it. You know, we and when I was watching, I was thinking at two nil, Villa could have killed them off really early on and and actually took their foot off the gas. Um, Villa looked brilliant, and a positive note for Villa is their goal difference is back to zero. So uh, yeah, they don't have to worry too much about what happened on match day one against Newcastle now. No, exactly. And you could say that Duran was uh, hungry like the wolf in goal nice. for Villa in that Very game. Good. Nice. Good, right. We can just move on from that very quickly. <laughs> that's the best. We've talked about bad bits. That's probably the lowest bit. But uh, uh, Matt, we've got to talk about one other side that it was a particularly bad weekend for um, another of the Sunday games. Yeah, um, we're we're recording this fresh after Chelsea's defeat to West Ham. Um, and it, it will be harsh to put Chelsea in bad here. Um, so I'm not going to put the team performance in bad. 
Um, because I actually thought they deserved something from that match. I thought they played quite well. So they, I mean, one all, uh, they got a penalty. Um, if they'd have scored that, it would have been a much different game because they were really on top of West Ham at that point. I thought Raheem Sterling was excellent today. I thought it was one of his best performances in a long time. And it was Sterling actually who broke a Premier League record today. Um, he won his 24th penalty. Uh, and that overtakes Jamie Vardy on 23. And that's the most by any player in Premier League history. It's a shame that Enzo Fernandez did not convert that penalty. Um, it was a, well, you could say a derby to forget for Moises Casido because um, he gave away a late penalty. His his performance in general, I think people are overreacting how bad it was. It, it was, wasn't the tidiest performance. Quite a difficult game to come into, albeit West Ham with 10 men. But he was just the second player to give away a penalty in his Premier League debut for Chelsea after Wayne Bridge uh, in August 2003. John Terry's rubbing his hands right now. Has Moses <laughs> got a wife? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, that the, the most sort of bad element for Chelsea here is that was the sixth consecutive Premier League game that they've gone 1-0 down in. And you can't keep giving yourselves uphill battles um and like that's their worst rut such run in the premier league since october november 1993 um and who's to say they're not going to break that record it probably will next week um and pochettino's just got such a big job there There's, there's such a that performance they've got so many good individuals there's no cohesion there whatsoever and i know it's going to take time for them to click um but you feel like Chelsea don't really have time. <laughs> they they want to get back in the Champions League. Um, there's That battle at the top is going to be so tight and there's already teams getting quite far ahead of them in terms of points and it's going to be difficult to catch up. If they don't win next week, they could be, what, six, seven, eight points behind some of those teams already. Um, so, yeah, Chelsea needs to sort it out and quick, I think. Yeah, worrying times for those in West London. They, you know, at the end of the day, they should be able, the talent in that squad should be able to pull it around. I think it's just this the expectation versus reality right now for the club. Right then, um, quirky. This was the highlight of last week's show. A lot of you getting in contact via social media and via all sorts to let us know how much you like this. We have left it up to the Quirkmeister General Matt to come up with this <laughs> week's one. I like that. I like it. I like it. I'm going to get it. It's like a terrible darts nickname, that one. Pauline Quirk. Can you call me Pauline Quirk? <laughs> I will call, I'll call you whatever you want on a Sunday. Don't worry about it. That is a retro reference. <laughs> <laughs> one for the kids there, as they always say. <laughs> Go on then, my bird of a feather. Let us know what it is. <laughs> so actually, I'm, I've got two. One is the major one. This is the starter for you. So yesterday, Manchester City broke a really niche record of scoring in 17 successive halves of Premier League football against Newcastle. Unfortunately, the second half, they didn't manage to score. So that run is at an end. Um, But yeah, the first half, um, Julian Alvarez's goal was the 17th consecutive half that they've scored in against uh, Newcastle. And also that's the 30th successive Premier League game, which is a record by one club against another in the competition. Um, so yeah, Newcastle are sick of seeing Man City. Now <laughs> comes the main dish. So after their 4-1 win at Wolves on Saturday, Brighton ended the day top of the Premier League for the first time ever. In fact, actually top of the top flight lean in England for, for the first time ever. It was their th- 398th top flight game. 
and it was their it's their eleventh top flight season. They became the fifty third team to finish the day top of the English top flight. So I have a quiz for the both of you. So as I said, fifty three no. different teams have finished a day top of the English top flight. I want you to compile your list of who you think is in the top ten for that, and then we will oh, come back. Lord and see how you got on so obviously a point for each team that you get with that is within the top 10 um any team you get outside the top 10 nil point. do you know what we're going to do here we're going to go to a break audience i think that's the best way to do it and when we come back from the break we're going to have our questions and we're going to have this for you because matt has just thrown this on us but it also gives you a chance to put in your one as well so take a little pause drop us an email editors at the analyst.com with your 10 and if it's not one of the ones David or I come up with, we'll let you know. Anyway, on the other side, we'll also have a look forward to the Monday Night Football as well, here on the Day Today. Welcome back to the Day Today, where just before the break, Matt posed us a teaser after Brighton finishing the day top of the Premier League. The 53rd team to finish at the, a day at the top of the top flight in England. He asked us to come up with a list of 10, and he was going to let us know how many of them were in the top 10. It's only fair that we let our guest go first here. David, your 10. Thank you, Graham. Right. My 10 are Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Everton, Chelsea, Manchester City, I've got Everton twice for some reason, Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa, West Ham, Tottenham, and I'm struggling with the last one. So I'm going to say Ipswich Town. Hey, Graham, what's your 10? Right, so just to be, for the sake of clarity here, I have seven teams the same as David. I have Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, Everton, Villa, and Spurs. My three other teams, in reverse order of what I think are great shouts, Preston North End, Blackpool, and Blackburn Rovers. Okay. Right, so I will reveal the answers to you before revealing who wins um, good luck at home <laughs> yeah so top team so they have spent 4486 nights top of the english top flight are manchester united thank goodness because um, if we got that one wrong i would have cast down straight away <laughs> they are ahead of liverpool 4038 days third place are arsenal who graham you did not get 3075 oh, I put Arsenal on my list. I'm going to show. We are recording this. I have Arsenal written down on my paper. I must have only given you nine teams. All right. Okay. I'll have that. I'll accept that. Um, Everton are fourth, 2,123. Chelsea fifth, 1,861. Aston Villa are sixth, 1,573. Manchester City are seventh, 1,495. Now, this is the, the eighth team or the team that, Nobody got Sunderland 1146. Wow, ninth. Neither of you got either Leeds United 1104. 
And 10th place are Tottenham Hotspur, 987. So, Dave, you got eight, correct? Graham, you got seven, including Arsenal, correct? David, you win the first edition well of the Pauling Quirk Quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Do I win a buzz with my Blackpool, DVD? I just want to say Blackpool was a, a pretty poor shout. Um, 29th, 146 days top of the league. Um, that is five more days than West Ham, though. Um, I think your other one was Preston. I had Black, Blackburn and Preston. Preston at 18th, 640 days. And Blackburn... I'm sure they were good ones. Are 14th, 756. Um, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm embarrassed about the fact that I, I did was writing this down. Uh, I didn't have I didn't have Chelsea. That was an obvious one. Um, but my head got confused because I just thought they were rubbish in the 80s and went, nah. That was the only difference, Chelsea. You didn't have Chelsea, Dave did. Um, you didn't have Sunderland or Leeds either. Um, bonus quiz question. There are two teams that spent just one night top of the English top flight. Uh, can one you name either happened. of those? One of these both of them have been in the Premier League era. Yeah. I was going to say, that's not including Brighton, presumably. No, because tonight will be their second. Right, yeah. Um, I, would, I, would, I would like to go first. Go on. Go on then. Hull City. Correct. Yeah, that's a very good shout. I think I remember the specific day they were top as well. There are one other. Oh, there are one other? There is one other. There, there are one other team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the English Grammar Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Huddersfield. Oh, it's a good shout, but unfortunately not. It's yeah. Wigan Athletic. Oh, uh, yes. Was that the Amirzaki yeah. era? I believe so, yes. Yeah. I mean, they are lying in League were... One at the moment, considering their points deduction. Yes. They are. Yeah. Don't... yesterday. Yeah. But just put... See them in the championship next season, I think. They're looking very, very good at the It'll moment. It'll be quite a while until they're able to add to their one day, though, I think. But yeah, <laughs> is there that... is the quiz. Well done. Thank if you. you've got all 10 of those teams. Let us know if you did. If you've got all 10 of those teams, let us know. Email editors at theanalyst.com or, of course, drop us a line on social media. Right, we're wrapping up very quickly. Hope you enjoyed that quiz. David is going to be going away very shortly to go watch his uh, Birds of the Feather DVD. <laughs> the really sad thing is we're both going about Pauline Quirky. That's the only thing I can remember her being in. I can't even remember the other one in it. Who was the other one in Birds of the Feather? Uh, Linda Robson. She's got loose women. Yes, that's all Linda I can Robson. think of. Linda Robson. Pauline Quirk also, just, just not to give away where I live, I believe she has an acting school or something like that, quite a major franchise acting school because there was an advert for it on the bus not long ago. Anyway. Can, can I think my the prize? only thing is we've got to invite her to the Matchday 38 podcast and take part in the Pauline Quirk quiz. She has to. Um, see how she does against Linda Robson <laughs> <laughs> that might blow the budget for the show um, right then Monday Night Football this week sees Crystal Palace take on Arsenal this is going to be a very interesting one um, both sides obviously victorious opening day of the season and uh, it's actually a repeat of the opener last season for Palace at home in the league where they lost 2-0 against Arsenal so um, are we going to see it any different this time around Matt um well, history suggests no, and this is a like a very oddly specific fact, yet it's quite entertaining, that Arsenal have lost all four of their Premier League away games, played on a Monday night under Mikel Arteta. One of those was against Palace. They lost 3-0 in April 2022. Uh, the last time they won on a Monday night in the Premier League was December 2019 at West Ham, and the manager that day was Freddie Lundberg. That is how long ago that was. Um so, yeah, they don't have the best of times on Mondays. Um, 
That's the Boomtown Rats. Rats. That's not Duran Duran. That's Boomtown Rats Don't yeah. Like Monday. All right, we've got to get that right. We will. Um, one player looking to equal a record for Arsenal is Bakao Saka. He's played in Arsenal's last 81 Premier League games. Uh, if he plays tomorrow night against Palace, he will equal Paul Merson's club record of playing 82 Premier League matches in a row between February 1995 and February 1997. Um, I'm sure there's blow. a trophy that for that. That is mind that, To me, that, yeah. that fact is just Mike Paul Merson was fit enough yeah. to play 82 games on the bounce. Is You think of all those great Arsenal players in between. Burkamp, Henri, Vieira, like engines of players, and none of them played in as many consecutive matches as Paul Merson. Merson feels like one of those pundits who would have like have a go at players for saying, "Oh, I can't play twice in a week," but he actually has that to back up. Fair enough, Paul, because you know. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see someone on the Soccer Saturday panel reel that one off. Well, actually, Paul, you played eighty-two games in a row in the Premier League. Did you know that? (laughs) He, he would claim that is, yeah, not true. But it's weird. I can remember when he moved to Portsmouth, I remember he pretty much played every game for Portsmouth. Like, he, he didn't really, he only occasionally had those big injuries. But anyway, uh, that's uh, that's the Portsmouth podcast, not the uh, yeah. uh, Arsenal versus Crystal the Palace podcast. Cause, podcast. Well, because also Palace are, since Roy Hodgson returned to the club, um, have not lost at home under Hodgson, which I think no, is... And uh, I, I have humble pie to eat um, because... I said when Roy Hodgson joined Palace that it was one of the most disastrous appointments ever made in Premier League history. Um, granted, they had the easiest run in last season, um, but he did a brilliant job there. And actually, they're playing with a bit of panache. They they look pretty exciting to watch, which was not the case under Hodgson before. Um, so the first game of the season against Sheffield United, they had 24 shots, the most they've ever had in a Premier League away game. Uh, on record, so that's two, uh, since 2003 or 4. Um, and since he's returned to the club, they've averaged 15.7 shots per game, which is over five shots per game more than they had under Vieira, who, um, yeah, they play quite exciting football under him. Um, they haven't got Elise back yet. I know he signed a new no. contract. He's still out injured. Um, Eze was brilliant on the first game of the season. Um, they will cause Arsenal problems. I don't think Arsenal were at their best on the opening day. Um, but they still won, so it doesn't really matter. It's not an easy game for Arsenal with this one, and that's probably why the TV cameras are there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be... If Arsenal can win this one, that's a tricky hurdle uh, accomplished. Um, but, yeah, they were brilliant in the London derbies last season. They won 10 in the Premier League last season. Um, I think that's a Premier League record in a single season. Mm. Um yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to this game more than I was last Monday night's game, uh, which actually turned into quite a good match. So, yeah, so it's no- going to be interesting to watch this one. So, in other words, Matt's curse this game. Don't bother watching Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what you're saying <laughs> on that one. Uh, Supercomputer says it's going to be an Arsenal victory, 45.3% chance of the Gunners taking the win there, 28.5% the draw, and 26.2% the win for the Eagles. Of course, you can find out all the latest predictions that you would like over on theanalyst.com, along with all our other great content as well. And watch out for the Knee Jerks article. Love that when it came out last Monday. I suspect it's going to be another highlight when it comes out this week. What are those? knee-jerk reactions we could all be making uh thanks very much for tuning in as ever david thank you very much for joining us taking up your time on a sunday evening to get this pod in the books for us and of course thank you matt for the quiz question that's going to haunt me in my dreams for the rest of the night i feel (laughs) 
Maybe. sweating over Blackburn Rovers and Blackpool. <laughs> Someone has to. Why not me? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, thanks very much, of course, for joining us on the show. If you can leave us a review, subscription, rate us, please do so. Let your friends know about us as well. We're going to be here throughout the Premier League season. But on behalf of all of us here for now, thanks very much for tuning in to the day today, and we'll see you next weekend. <laughs>